ready for the weekend with Community Radio's premier sports show. Your new fix of Friday night sport. Welcome to the bench. Yeah, 24 minutes past six here. Two Triple H 100.1 FM, and we continue the guests on the phone to talk through the Cricket World Cup and the Women's Ashes. Nathan Smith, first eleven captain at four Northern Districts Cricket Club. Nathan, welcome to the bench. G'day, guys. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you, as we have been having you every week to go through the Cricket World Cup. It's been an interesting week, plus the games coming up to decide the semi-finals. Um, we'll go through a couple of games um, that, are, that have happened throughout the week. Uh, first off, um, Sri Lanka. They were in with the finals hope, but South Africa proving themselves to be a little bit of a, a pest here late in the uh, competition. Sri Lanka all out for 203, um, but S- South Africa being able to chase that down for only the loss of one wicket in 37.2 overs. Fafta Plessis, 96 not out. Hashem Umlet, 80 not out. It's going to be one of those tournaments for South Africa where if they could have had some of these results early on, you would think they're in semi-finals contention, but just unfortunately coming good at the wrong end of the time and Sri Lanka probably be a bit disappointed with that result as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, South Africa is just starting to show what we expected from them from the start, but they just haven't been able to deliver until now. Um, definitely a lot of has been South Africa throughout this tournament uh, where they just haven't stood up when they needed to and now that the, the time's gone for them, they've kicked in the gear, but it's all for nothing in in a sense. Um, and Sri Lanka, yeah, they'll be kicking themselves for sure. They had that opportunity and um, it was all in their hands. Uh, but unfortunately, they've let that slip. Well, next off it, we go to Headingley and a game that went down to the wire, Afghanistan, mm. proving that when they take on their neighbours, they had a close game against India as well. They made nine for 227, but it, it took Pakistan with two balls to go in order to trace down that total in what was a nail-biting clash. Yeah, big time. Like, I mean, as we, I think we spoke about it last week, where the, the Asian teams seem to rise to the occasion for their, when they play against each other, and there's just always a huge crowd and a build, especially in England. Um, with the the Asian population there. So it would have been a massive game and an incredible atmosphere there. Um, but Afghanistan, they're no pushovers, as we know. Uh, and Pakistan keep their, their semi-final hopes alive uh, with that big win. Well, we'll talk about Pakistan's semi-final chances in a moment, but the Anzac clash at Lords, they had a lot of eyeballs here, a lot of uh, late nights for a few people here in Australia with the day-night match there, probably going to about 4 or 5 a.m. Sunday morning. But Australia with a total 9 for 243. They probably would have thought that was under par. Usman Kawaja stepping up, showing that he deserves to keep his place in the team with 88. Alex Carey showing he's the next big thing in the wicket-keeping stakes. He made 71 off 72. And Trent Bolt with that hat-trick in that last over, which was something to see. But New Zealand all out for 157. Mitchell Stark showing that he loves playing in World Cups. He took another 5 for 5 for 26 off 9.4. Australia, they've been a little bit patchy. They've been having to do it the hard way. They did it here again, but their bowling certainly made a statement against the Kiwis. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's great to see people other than Warner, Finch, Smith getting runs. Uh, Alex Carey stood up and he's, I think he's taken breaking records in terms of a, 
a batsman batting at number seven or lower for the most of our runs in a World Cup. Um, and he's just doing it every game for us, flying under the radar. Um, and our bowlers have been outstanding every week, haven't they? They've, Stark in particular is just... He, he did it in 2015, and he's doing it again now for us and just taking bucket loads of wickets and winning us games, which is what we need him to do. Well, as I said, Australia going forward, we're going to be hoping and praying no injuries. We did see a couple of injuries... Um, Today, Sean Marsh being replaced by Peter Hanscom. Sean Marsh with that fractured arm. Also, uh, um, Glenn Maxwell also with an injury cloud too. So we'll watch more about that space. But we'll move along to the next game. A lot of eyeballs on this one. It was a big game for England. They needed to beat the previously unbeaten India to keep their semi-final hopes alive. And they, they started well, 7 for 337 three, off their 50 overs. Johnny Bairstow, another 100, showing his great form. India, they had Rohit Sharma make 100, but they could only get to 306 in their 50 overs. A big win for England. Yeah, massive. And as, as we were saying, it keeps England's uh, semi finals hopes alive as it was sitting, sitting on the brink of absolute failure for them, which it would have been if they missed out. Um, <clears throat> It was a pretty pretty impressive game and some unbelievable hitting there. It was one of those games where we haven't had the huge scores that we expected this tournament. Um, so it was good to see the batters get on top and get going and get some runs. And it's good to see England get some form as well because it'll, it'll pretty much show up that the, the top four teams are going to be in the semifinals with a bit of form behind them. We'll quickly just mention this game. There's a bit of, after Sri Lanka's loss... Um to South Africa, a bit of a dead rubber game. They did come bounce back, though, um, Sri Lanka. They did post 6 for 338 against the West Indies. Fernando getting 104. The Windies, though, they weren't able to chase it down. Perón got 118, but uh, in the end, the West Indies weren't able to, to um, get that total, just continuing the West Indies' uh, bad World Cup. Yeah, it's been very up and down for the West Indies. They've been either fantastic or abysmal. Um, here, they, I think they were just beaten by a better team with Shalanka getting the job done. That was a good first inning score, and it's always it's always tough to chase, especially in a World Cup. Um, and, yeah, I think for both teams, it's very much a case of what we could have done um, when, the, when the pressure was on. And in the end, they haven't been able to succeed in that way. Well, next, the next day, India, having to bounce back from their, their pretty much shock loss to England, they post nine for three fourteen. Sharma making his second hundred in three days. But Bangladesh put up a good fight. Um, Al-Hassan making 66, but they were, ended up being bowled out for 286, showing again these Asian country neighbours, they're putting on big, high-scoring games. The, the lesser countries, the Bangladesh, Afghanistan, putting up a big fight against their bigger brothers. Yeah, definitely. I think Bangladesh have done this all tournament as well. Uh, they've just kept nipping at the heels and they're always pushing teams right to the edge. Uh, India showing their class in the end, just being able to get the job done. Um, and I think that's a good test for them going into the going into the semester. Well, we move along to the next game. New Zealand having to bounce back against England, but England continue their their rich vein of form. 3 for 305, Johnny Bairstow making another 100. New Zealand, though, they'll have some panic buttons being pressed. They were all out again for 186, giving England a big win. 
New Zealand said they're, they're limping their way into this finals. They, they are pretty much guaranteed, but these two losses going in really starting to expose their batting. Yeah, definitely. They seem to have a problem if Kane Williamson doesn't score 100, um, which is a big problem when you're relying on one person to get you through. Uh, England, uh, they're, they're looking dangerous. They're hitting form at the right time, and Johnny Bairstow just keeps scoring runs. I don't know how he's doing it. Um, it's pretty impressive to watch, and but their whole top order right throughout um, has always been dangerous. They're always, when they're on, they just put teams to the sword and um, can go into a sort of destructive mode. So they're real danger going into this uh, back end of the tournament now. Last but certainly not least, last night's game, Afghanistan versus the West Indies. Afghanistan, everyone thought that they'd probably have a bit better of a tournament. They might win a game or two. They tried their best here to at least get a win out of the last game. But the West Indies, they made six for 311. Hope their best batsman was 77. Afghanistan, so, so close. uh, They were all out for 288, just shy of that West Indies. I think Afghanistan... They they deserve to be on this stage. They'll be unlucky and they'll be unhappy to go home without a win, but the West Indies will be happy that they're at least able to chalk up their second win of the tournament. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think Afghanistan are good enough to to compete at this level and to be strong and push teams right to the edge. So they will be disappointed that they haven't walked away without uh, a couple of wins at least. Um, which is which is disappointing for them. Uh, the Windies as well, showing another glimpse where they can do it all so well. Um, Shy Hope just seems to score runs all the time for them. He's very consistent and keeps getting the job done when he needs to. Uh, but he just needs a bit of support around him um, in terms of the rest of their batting order and then their bowlers as well. Well, last but not least, we've got three games left in this tournament and all have ramifications on the final. This first game, Bangladesh versus Pakistan. We're pretty much locked in with the top four. The order, though, can still change. But Pakistan in fifth. If they can do the impossible and beat and beat Bangladesh by a large enough margin, they can still get in Pakistan. But it's going to have to take an absolute miracle. Just to give you some of the perpetrations here, if Pakistan score 350, they have to bowl out Bangladesh for 39. If Pakistan score 400, then they have to bowl out Bangladesh for 84 to make it through. So, unfortunately, I think for Pakistan, it's just going to be a bridge too far to get through. But it's still going to be a cracking game, as we've seen between all the Asian country nations. Yeah, definitely. I mean, at the end of the day, Pakistan's got nothing to lose. They may as well go for it. So you could get some absolute fireworks tonight if anyone wants to stay up and watch it. That's for sure. Well, it's going to be an interesting one. I'm sure as much as it doesn't have the thing, I think a few people are going to have their eyes on that one. Next up tomorrow at Headingley, India versus Sri Lanka. India, if they win here, can give themselves a shot of finishing first. But if they lose to Sri Lanka, then they've given Australia the top spot. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, these last two games are really important in terms of who gets who in the semi-final. As um, as you've seen with New Zealand's form at the moment, I think they're the ones you'd rather play in the semi instead of England, just given how dangerous England's looking at the moment. So as an Australian, we'd love to see India lose and uh, us take the top spot, but then it's still all in our hands. 
Well, it is. Yeah, well, exactly right. It is in all our hands with uh, the last game of the tournament at Old Trafford, Australia versus South Africa. Basically, the formula is simple for Australia. They win, they finish top of the t- top of the table. Yeah, it's as simple as that. And it won't be, I mean, it won't be easy at all playing South Africa and South Africa's shown in the last couple of games what they really, what we expected from them after the whole tournament. So, leading in now, like, this is this is perfect preparation going into the semi-final. You'll have a tough game and you'll be able to show where we're really at and we can hopefully progress on, finish first and play New Zealand or Pakistan should the impossible happen. Well, and, uh, <laughs> if, if that does happen, I think there'll be uh, I think there'll be a, a few things that might happen as well. You'll see uh, pigs flying, hell freezing over, all the fun stuff like that. But um, it's going to be an interesting one. I did have one question before we move on to the women's ashes. We sort of know who we're going to have as our semi-finalists. We sort of know what order. We'll talk more about the semi-finals next week, but I want to know who's your final. Who's go- who's the two teams to play next Sunday at Lords? Uh, I I think it'll be Australia. Definitely, I think England are showing huge amounts of form, and I think they might knock off India in the semi. Oh, that's a big call. Yeah, but yeah, that'll be an interesting one. That'll be an absolutely packed Lords next Sunday. I know I'm be. Uh, a bit late at work on Monday. I think we'll all have our gl- eyes glued on the TV sets Sunday night, but we can't let the World Cup overshadow this. The Women's Ashes has also started during the week. We've had the first two ODIs of the tournament. Both have been played at Grace Road at Leicester. First up, uh, England batting first, all out for 177. The uh, the Australian women's side doing it the hard way. They won by two wickets uh, with 45 balls to spare. And last night in the second ODI, England batting first again. They're all out for 217. Um, and this time Australia winning by four wickets with 28 balls left. It's going to be an interesting um, tournament um, with all games in the in the um, in the women's series. The ODIs, the the lone Test match, and the the T20s combining. With a point system to um, to determine the uh, the winner of the Ashes, there Australia off to the best start possible with those two wins. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Australia's probably gone into the tournament slightly favourites, uh, and to get it, get the first two under their belt is really important in terms of the longevity of the tournament for them. Um, it was good to see Elise Perry take some wickets early as well in that first game, and then the stock standard. Elite really just scoring more runs every time she bats. She seems to score runs, which is fantastic to see for us. Yeah, it'll be one we'll be watching with great interest with the third ODI on Sunday night and the one-off test starting next Thursday, the 18th. Nathan, it's been a pleasure to have you on again to talk cricket. I'm sure we'll talk in the next week or two about those semis and the finals and more Ashes talk. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. And now on the bench, it's time to look at the world game. Time to look at soccer. Yes, welcome back to the bench. 17 minutes to seven here. We're thundering through this show. Third guest already on the phone. He's the head coach of the Sydney FC NPL sign, Jimmy Van Weeren. Jimmy, welcome to the bench. Thanks, guys. It's uh, good to be here. Thanks for having me. And my our absolute pleasure, Jimmy. And it's been a uh, it's been amazing watching sort of the development of football over the last couple of years and seeing the the evolution of uh, youth development within uh, within New South Wales in particular. Now, just 
for a bit of background here, um, Sydney FC, it wasn't originally Sydney FC, if I remember rightly, um, with the establishment of this youth squad, because it was originally run out of the Football New South Wales Institute. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, uh, late 2015, uh, the, the A-League club started what they call Youth Academies, um, and then uh, Central Coast Mariners, um, the Western Sydney Wanderers and Sydney FC all have teams that compete from uh, NPL all the way down to under-13s in, in, in either NPL 1 or NPL 2. Now, let's let's talk about Sydney FC um, within NPL 1 because uh, during the course of the week, you, you did, uh, over the weekend, you did go down to the Blacktown City Demons, but it has to be said, um, far from disgraced against one of the real competition heavyweights and really thanks to a Dakota Askew double. Yeah, I mean, they were two uh, first-class goals, um, the, the, the second and third goal from... Um, but, you know, as, as you mentioned, I think the young boys... For, for sort of 16, 17, 18, 19-year-olds uh, really hold their own and um, yeah, some, some real promising stars. Now, what we, should, what we should mention as well is the way that the A-League um, clubs have their youth academy structured is the way in, in NPL1, correct if I'm wrong, but it's the under-21s and then the under-20s, you actually play your under-18s. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the uh, the aim, really. But, but um, you know, our sort of policy is here if, if you're, you're sort of old enough, if you're good enough. Yeah. So uh, we've had players as young as 16 and 17 playing in the NPL 1 men's competition. Now, let's go through the... Um, let's go through... The, you, you sort of talk about yourself and you sort of your experience because, of course, you came in with the under-15s back in 2015. And, and, and I'm saying you, you're only... 26, 27 when you took over? Yeah, so when I first... I was 27 when I first uh, had the opportunity to go to, to Sydney. So prior to that, I was um, I was also fortunate enough to spend um, sort of five years um, really gaining some valuable experience at Manly United. And then uh, in 2015, uh, I moved across uh, under Kelly Cross, uh, who I knew through the FFA to the Sydney FC Academy with the under-15 team uh, that year. Now you took over the under 18s in 2016. Uh, you've had the the amazing um, opportunity to have taken championship and premiership doubles in the under 18s, and then the uh, I believe the under 20s as well. The very next year, yeah, it was actually so. In 2017, uh, it was the under 18s. We won both the uh, premiership and championship, which is sort of the league and also the final series. And we were able to do the same the following year in the under 18s. Now, the uh, most of the kids obviously playing up through the age groups. Now, you took over this year from uh, Giancarlo Italiano, who has been, I guess, a mainstay of um, New South Wales NPL for a number of years and has had a very heavy association with Sydney FC. Yeah, and uh, both both um, Chief and Rob uh, had done a great job with, with this program prior to uh, myself and Shane Smelt taking in. So... Yeah, they were. Yeah, they did a really good job in, in sort of the three years prior to us joining. So, um, yeah, they, they left the program in a good place. Let's talk about the, the three teams and where they are at the moment because um, Sydney FC in first grade, sitting 11th of 12 in first grade with 14 points, four wins, two draws and 11 losses and a goal difference of minus 17. But it has to be said that of the first five losses that Sydney FC experienced this year, three of them by a goal and often late. Now, it's often... This really does talk to how competitive Sydney FC have been, but 
just lacking almost that um, that experience to close games out. Yeah, and I mean, also for us, probably the starting point is is youth development. Um, uh, but that's not to say that we don't want to win games. So, um, but but obviously, when you put some you know some pretty sort of talented youth players into a men's competition, uh, there's times where unfortunately. Uh, learning moments happen uh, near our goal and there's, there's uh, either some sort of pretty special play by some talented men in the competition or uh, sometimes it may be some of our errors. And But then when we go to your, your under-20s and your under-18s, they are absolutely kicking some goals. Your, your under-20s at the moment are sitting second with 30 points with eight wins and six draws and a goal difference of plus 12. And your under-18s third with 33 points uh, and a goal difference of plus 16. And this has been a, a continue a trend for Sydney FC over the last couple of years is that your real strength has been in the under-20s and the under-18s. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of competition table, yeah, they do they do really well in those age groups. And, um, you know, the, they probably don't get the credit they truly deserve either because uh, our, our under-20s uh, are, are normally sort of 16 and 17-year-olds. And, and our under-18s can be even younger, 15 and 16. So uh, sometimes they're playing two, three years up. Um, and to, to be doing as well as they're doing in those competitions is um, yeah, it's, it's a really good achievement for both staff and players. And, and the experience that, that you've had now playing in, in NPL, as coaching within NPL 1... Uh, how have you found it really mixing with some of the uh, some of the other teams in the, in the competition, especially those who have got established players who have been in NPL for a number of years and former A League players? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I had a small amount of experience uh, during my time at uh, Manly United with under both Craig Midgley and and Paul D as an assistant coach, uh, but you were dealing with um, men against men in that context. It's been a it's been a big learning uh, experience for us as staff um, taking um, you know a very young team into a men's competition and and, and like you mentioned um, you know some of these players have had you know fairly extensive A League uh, playing careers or are very well established NPL players and they only need a, a few moments in a game to really punish you so um, it's, it's been a, a really good uh, learning experience for both staff and players. Um, and, and that's what we want, uh, the, the, the best test possible to help us produce sort of future A-League stars. Now, we sh- before we go on to have a little bit of fun, just a quick mention of the other two competitions that we do cover from here, um, New South Wales NPL 2, and even you you might monitor it from time to time because, of course, you've got the Western Sydney Wanderers and the Central Coast Mariners Youth Academies playing in these competitions and the NPL too almost resembles the football league championship in England, and as to how close the competition can get. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it's also a strong competition, you know. So there's there's some um, strong NPL two clubs out there who who have um, you know really stable setups, uh, and and year in year out are competing in that league. So yeah, it's a top league um, as well, and and the Wanderers and the Mariners are playing in that league, uh, and, and able to. Um, produce some players and also uh, get some results as well. And then it would be remiss of us to mention the women's New South Wales NPL one, of course. Um, your darling wife Gemma, who's playing in the um, in the reserves grade, uh, and Manly United are absolutely killing it in that competition. But they haven't translated it into their first grade team this year. Yeah, I mean, um, 
Look, Manly are a strong club. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I can't really comment about what, what's going on down there at the moment. But, you know, the, I'm sure they're in safe hands with Coach Chris Williams. He's, uh, he's, a, he's a very good operator and also under the, the technical director there, Sharon Egger. So, um, yeah, it's good to see a lot of local girls coming through and playing in that in that side now. Are we? Are we... There have been discussions about whether Sydney FC are going to get involved with repeating what they did with the old FNSW Institute with the men's and then repeating it with the on the women's side. Um, has there been any discussion from your side with it? And if if not, how likely is it of, of it happening in the future? Ah, <laughs> uh, look, I, I don't know. I'm hearing, you know, I can't really comment on that because I'm hearing things second and third hand, probably same same as you guys. So. I mean, so long as uh, you know, you've seen probably with the Matildas that the the women's game is um, really come on leaps and bounds, which is great to see. Uh, whichever model they decide to go with in the near future, that's going to help women's football. Uh, we'd fully support that. Well, we've 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 gone through. We've had a, a pretty good discussion about the competition as a whole, but of course, you are here to join us for what everyone comes to join us for whenever we have a guest on here. Jimmy Van Weeren, it is time for you to drop and give us twenty. <laughs> yep. So, uh, who wants to who wants to fire the first salvo? I think Alex is going to fire the uh, first salvo. I'll kick off. Uh, Jimmy, what was your original home club? I was a I'm a Coleroy Chroma Strikers. Nah. Uh, <laughs> Boo, boo. <laughs> I can't say much. I live in Chroma. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, who is your hometown hero? Ah, that's a, this is a tough one. I guess, look, born and bred on the northern beaches. I, I, I don't know if I could go past either Lucas Neal or Robbie Slater. On that one. You know, both, both manly heroes. I can see uh, the look on Caruso's face, and as a fellow CC striker, he's a bit disappointed you didn't say him. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, I was, I was actually going to say Phil Moss for a moment there, though, so... Yeah, look, he was up there, too. Yeah. But uh, I've seen Anthony play, so... <laughs> It's not. It's not pretty. Nothing more <laughs> needs to be said after that. Uh, your first competition goal. Oh gosh, I don't score many, guys. I was a, a centre back, uh, and 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 barely crossed the um, the halfway line. I, I'm not sure in youth football. Probably, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be generous on myself and say under nine. And I imagine it would have been something along the lines of because Jimmy's a pretty tall kid in his own right. And I'm going to say kid because you are younger than us. Uh, and it would have been uh, something along the lines of maybe a Virgil van Dyke header. Yeah, I'm sure it would have been. I must admit, I probably hadn't scored that many with my feet. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, I'm wondering if this might be the answer to the next question. Most memorable on-field moment? Yeah, I mean, uh, as, as a player, I mean, we, we won a reserve grade uh, grand final when I was uh, at Seaport football club a few years back I mean that was pretty memorable as a player yeah. and then but then as a coach I mean to, to, to um, sort of see some of our uh, youth players get invited into national things is, is also been really rewarding there yeah, so. well conversely we do ask the hard-hitting questions here on the bench what's your most embarrassing on-field moment yeah I scored a uh, it must have been about four years ago up at Kitchener Park playing pit water uh, it was a pit water corner, and I um, jumped up at the near post. I, I'm going to look for an excuse. I had the sun in my eyes. <laughs> I ended up heading the ball 
into the top corner, into the pigeon of our own goal. Straight past uh, Steely at the time. So that was uh, not my finest moment. Top bins in your own goal? That's not bad. Yeah, yeah, not so good. So, uh, Who did you grow up supporting? Uh, I mean, here, growing up on the northern beaches, we, we supported Manly Eagles, the rugby league team. That was, um, you know, we used to go down on a Sunday afternoon down there and, uh, on the hill. Uh, at half time, you could get in for free. So that was a big one. And, and later on in my high school time, I supported Chelsea uh, in the time that uh, sort of Roman Abramovich took over there. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Please, please. Dear, oh, dear. Actually, I can't talk. I should be thankful to be still in the Premier League at the moment, so... <laughs> you should be thankful for a lot of things, Chris, so... Hey, uh, you're down in the Championship, all right, so don't you talk. I, I, we know me, fair weather. I'll find a new team. Now, everyone's got one, but claim to fame off-field. Oh, gosh, this has got me. <laughs> I mean, I, not that you could tell now if you drove past my place, but I uh, I like to look after the lawns, you know. I like we have a little friendly competition amongst family and friends of who's got yep. the best lawn. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure that paints a good picture outside of football, but I, I like it. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just have a nice coverage, nice little uh, dribble in the afternoons after work. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's something to do with working in football that you like it, like a nice uh, grass, but... <laughs> That was the, the best G-rated answer I could come up with. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll move along from that. This is a this is a family friendly show. Um, what? Who would be the three sports stars you'd you'd have at your ultimate dinner, and why would you have those three? Uh, I, I think uh, Mourinho would be one. I thought you know in his prime. Um, yeah, he was he was a first class manager, and the way he was able to to manage uh, perceptions and things in the media was first class. I think uh, Michael Jordan was another one for what he did in in basketball, um, and then also to be able to transition into baseball. You know, you sort of read some of the things about his levels of commitment and desire and grit as a as a young player. I think to be able to tap into that would be uh, a real eye opener. And the third one would probably be uh, Messi, you know, because uh, arguably the best player um, to potentially have played the game. Um, yeah, and, and, and similar to Jordan in, in that regard to sort of tap in uh, to find out how he developed the skill set that he's got, you know. Which, which sport do you think the world could do without and why? This is very oh, controversial. Yeah. <laughs> Please oh. think about your answer beforehand. Ah, oh, look. I mean, I, I I'll put anything on the television. It doesn't matter. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit on the fence on this one. Ooh. You can't do that either. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna give us something. I was thinking cricket until I heard. Oh. <laughs> All right, it's been great having Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play. I'm going to play. All right. What is the biggest issue facing sports today, in your opinion? I think, um, you know, sort of financial resources um, and, and facilities mm-hmm. around sports. I mean, you, 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 we're reading about the amount of kids that are now playing, uh, especially in our local area here, and, and you see sort of the state of the fields. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, from about May onwards, um, really aren't up to scratch. So, I mean, yeah, so some sort of financial support. Um Around facilities and uh, you know, so that so that more kids can keep playing, or, or, or us old adults. Don't don't get me started again, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, yeah, we don't want to we don't want to mention a certain farm that's in Cromer. Oh yeah, yeah, not so. <laughs> <laughs> um, next off, well, 
We know we know one of these things. If you if you're not mowing the lawn, how do you pass your time throughout the of the off season? <laughs> yeah, my boss will tell you this. We actually don't have an off season. So um, no, nah, look. I mean, we. I still love playing the game, even though um, it, it's just an amateur, only at amateur level. I mean, we'll, we'll go down still. Uh, some of our family and friends in the area will go down once, twice a week, and play sort of. You know, we like to say they're social kick-arounds. They get competitive if the score's close. Um, yeah, or we just pass the time with, with uh, summer soccer now. So it's, uh, it's, it's come a long way, uh, football in this area. And I've, jo- I've, joined in on a co- I've joined in on a couple of those family, those family and friends matches that he has from time to time. And there's one, partic- there's one particular brother and cousin that get ultra-competitive in that game. <laughs> and you don't? I, I sit back. I actually oh, sit back yeah, on this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that the, the, sounds like you. The rest you. of us are well behaved. It's really only the two that that uh, Anthony mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the biggest influence on your sporting career? Um, I mean, look in the in the coaching um, world. I think early on, Craig Midgley, who was the technical director and also first team coach at Manly, uh, was a big influence. Uh, and, and he really gave me uh, a lot of opportunity and a lot of support and guidance. And then uh, since I've moved to Sydney FC, uh, I've, I've also been uh, able to have Kelly Cross as a mentor who's got a, a, a great uh, sort of CV, uh, top-level football in this country, both in coach education uh, and youth development. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're two big mentors for me. Definitely. Uh, I'm big on these, but... Pre and post match rituals. Yeah, when I was younger in better in better physical condition, I might have been able to answer this. Now I have two coffees, and uh, I wake up. I have a coffee. Hopefully, try and get down two bits of toast. I have a second coffee, and then it takes me about thirty minutes to strap. Uh, <laughs> a strict uh, a strict uh, timeline just to get myself on the field these days. More man than tape. <laughs> well, post-match, maybe a, a few adult beverages or... Yeah, I must admit, um, yeah, that's a nice part of playing down at the Strikers. They do, they do that part of the game very really well. <laughs> All right, well, who's the biggest pest in your sporting career? And is he sitting right next to me in the studio? Uh, I actually told him he should listen. I, was, uh, I, I had to fess up before I was going to give this answer. I, I can't go past my cousin Ari. <laughs> he's uh, he's calling three or four times a day to try and get us to go to the park or have a kick or go for a run or anything. He just uh, he's relentless. Oh God, there is. This is a guy who is. I, I, it's very hard to say he's genuinely a bigger pest than I am. <laughs> yeah. That that is very hard to believe. Mm. Yeah, I am finding that very difficult. Uh, we just had our local league game cancelled. And uh, before I could even read the message from the coach, we already had a message from Ari. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the funniest moment involving a teammate. Mm. Ah, well, uh, they have a code on the end of season trip that you can't speak about the end of season trip. <laughs> I'm going to have to, uh, our family radio, I'm going to have to pass. Oh, come, come on. Surely there's an opportunity to throw someone under the bus on this. <laughs> It was a recent highlight down, uh, down at uh, we were down at training one night, and Ash Parker, who's a uh, father of one of the players in the team we coach, went to fetch a ball out of the bush, 
uh, he was using an agility pole. Uh, he went to throw the pole, uh, was using the pole to get the ball out of the bush, dropped the pole, it bounced up and spiked him in the chin. <laughs> That's pretty good. That is a visual. <laughs> Once we knew that the, what, there was no serious injury, uh, we were able to have a good laugh at that one. He, was, he got goose of the week, so... Uh, that was and it. deservedly so. Very signed. well deserved. Yeah. <laughs> uh, teammates, who's got the best and who's got the worst chat, banter, uh, that side of things? I'm going to go uh, big Alex, Alex Wilson, who uh, plays in our reserve, great at strikers. He, he's up there. He's a top guy, uh, always good for a laugh. <laughs> uh, and the worst, I'm going to go with a, with a brace here on Ari. So. <laughs> <laughs> what about it? What about what about in your Sydney FC squad? Anyone you'd be willing to throw under the bus about their chat? Uh, the boys are good. The young boys are good. There's a few a few guys in that within that squad that uh, that fit into the uh, best banter category. I must admit, they uh, they might be they might be pointing the finger at us these days. <laughs> that'll be that'll be interesting to see. So, yeah. well, I don't know how many circuits you'd go on, but. Not many these days. Not many these days, but on your CC strikers, on your uh, on your nights out after the game, who's the best and worst teammate? Who can handle their adult beverages? Who might sneak home to the missus a little bit early? <laughs> I mean, there's a few boys in this team that can give it a good go. Um, I mean, Henry Jackson's uh, one of them, uh, but there's a few young boys that can go the distance. I must admit, I probably have to point the finger at myself these days for the worst category. I've, I've been known to potentially sneak off after going to the park. <laughs> ah, the smoke bomb. I, 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 I want to know, I actually want to know, because there's one guy here who Matt Mears and I know very well, and we're very curious about it, Sam Webber. Oh, no. Yeah, look, he's... Um, he's very debonair. Yeah, he's match fit, Sammy, so... He's match fit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, your biggest rival? Uh, yeah, look, in the, in the coaching ranks, we've, we've had a lot of good uh, time league. Now, a lot of good duels with Rockdale over the years. Blacktown City are also a, a top club. Um, but, but in a local football, I mean, I must admit, you, you probably can't go past Pipwater. I mean, they're, they're a good bunch of guys who always give you a really good game. So um, it's always nice to play Pipwater and, and uh, try and uh, get a tough win, even if they're rare up there at Kitchener Park. Now, which team do you always hate and why? There's always one. <laughs> Doesn't have to just be who you played against. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, look, I, <laughs> this is a tough one. I mean, uh, in the A-League, I'm not sure if I hate them, but dislike would be a word, Wanderers, because we were in Sydney FC. But, yeah. I mean, it's a good rivalry um, there. I mean, in the MWFA, I'm not sure you like many other clubs. So, yeah, I'll go with any of the other nine Premier League teams on that one. Fair enough. But here we are, question 20, the big one. This is what we've all been waiting for. Which sports person or, or, or personality or anybody that you would nominate to be the next person to drop and give us 20? I, I couldn't go past Ryan Butcher, who's our uh, coach down there at CC Strikers. He's a top guy. Uh, he's, he's a good laugh, so yeah, I nominate uh, Bushy. I like that. I don't think that'll be too bad. Uh, too bad a nomination. I'm going to throw. I'm going to throw in a 21 here as well. Interactions with Steve Corica. Oh, uh, look, he's a he's a top guy. I mean, uh, he's also he's also local from this area. Um, in terms of you know, us as a as a set of youth team staff. 
uh, getting to work under someone like that is a, is a huge privilege. Uh, he's, he's not only a top coach, but a top guy. So, um, you know, to see him do so well last year in his first year, we were, we were really, really happy for him. Um, and, and, and now early on in pre-season, but some, some really strong signings already. So, yeah, we, we really look forward to supporting him this year and, um, and hopefully seeing him uh, do well again. Well, Jimmy Van Weeren, on behalf of the bench, we thank you for joining us here tonight. Uh, best of luck for the rest of the season, of course. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Sydney FC this weekend will be playing. Will be at home at against Rockdale City Suns, and that game will be played at Lambert Park, which is your pseudo home ground. Um, and I've got to say, it's always a pleasure to go out to Lambert Park for any football match. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I, I appreciate the invite and, and all the best for the rest of your show. Well, thank you, Jimmy. That was Jimmy Van Weeren, coach of uh, the Sydney FC NPL side.